hello, everybody. Welcome to the Pac-Man Podcast, Patriotic American Citizen. Today is Tuesday, February 22nd. That's when I'm recording this program. It's the day after President's Day, which is a federal holiday, much like Martin Luther King Day, Veterans Day, etc. I'm going to talk a little bit today about the greatest president this nation has ever had, arguably the greatest president, George Washington. He founded a nation, helped to found a nation, and he gets short shrift in academia and in the media for whatever reason. They don't like him because he owns slaves. As I record this, it's Tuesday, February 22nd, Washington's actual birthday. I think there's a movement afoot by the Marxist left in this nation to minimize and marginalize the presidents, specifically the founders, in their contribution to this great nation. Their contributions, I should say. They gave it everything they had, their blood, their sweat, their tears. They risked everything, including their lives and their fortunes. But they owned slaves, the founders. So the left believes, as a result, America is irredeemably racist. Now, I work for the Assembly, as most of you know. Assembly offices, like all government offices, are closed on federal holidays. But state universities, specifically SUNY Albany, remained open on President's Day. I noticed they weren't open on Martin Luther King Day. Not that they should have been. And they they were open on Veterans Day. Why were they open on Veterans Day and this past Monday, President's Day? I, I just wonder why that is. Government schools are so tied up in their agenda to crush institutions and the people who built this nation. The founders were great men. They were flawed, like all of us are. All men are flawed. But they weren't diverse enough in the left size. They weren't of the right shade. They were melanin-challenged, in other words. They weren't poor enough. Most were men of means and of a certain level of education. Many were aristocrats and landowners. I mean, they had money. Washington was not born into money. He was of middling wealth. His, his father and mother were, you know, average for the time. But some facts maybe and some information that you may have not have heard about George Washington. Facts that the media and, the, and, and certainly academia won't tell you. There was a great piece in WorldNet Daily this weekend by Chuck Norris. And I'll work off what he wrote, and I'm going to add my two cents in here. I'm going to give Washington his due, because certainly the media and, and, and schools, government schools in this nation, short shrift all the founders, but especially George Washington. Ten facts. And I'm not going to belabor you with all his, uh, his exploits. He was a, a, a great general. But he, won, he lost as many battles as he won. I don't know if any of you know that, but he won the big ones. 1752, he was only 23. He joined the British Army, served as a lieutenant in the French and Indian War. In 1759, he married Martha Dandridge Custis, a wealthy widow, and adopted her two children. That's where he got a lot of his wealth. I mean, she had tons of money. She had two other children, but they had passed away. In 1775, he was 43. Washington became the commander-in-chief of the Continental Army, and in 1783, led America to victory over the British after eight years of war. And then it goes on to talk about his military prowess. I'll spare you some of that, but he was president, as we all know, of the Constitutional Convention in 1787. He was the first signer of the U.S. Constitution. 1789, he was elected first president of this country, unanimously elected by the 69 presidential electors to serve his first term from 1789 to 93. He was again unanimously elected for a second term 
from 1793 to 97. He declined a third term. He said, look, we left George, King George and Britain behind. We don't need kings or monarchs. He declined a third term. So many people wanted him to run for a third term. When it came to decency, number 10, when it came to decency, civility, and morality, Washington stood for conservative values. He believed in traditional faith, faith in God. He believed in freedom and in family. I have in my collection somewhere, I can't lay my hands on it, but there's a four by four leather bound edition of the 110 rules of civility and decent behavior in company and conversation. George Washington wrote those rules for civility when he was 14 years of age. Now, I, you know, I have, a, I have children that age, a, a boy about to be 13 and a, and a daughter 15. What he wrote in those pages was just, he has so much wisdom and it showed the way he led this nation. You have to, if you ever get a copy of this uh, Rules of Civility, you, you'll be astounded by, you know, things you should not do in mixed company. If you're at a dinner table, you shouldn't whistle or hum or uh, read. It's, it's really amazing that a 14-year-old would have the wisdom to come up with this stuff. Washington also believed in the power of grit, guns, and God. While others were frightened by signing the Declaration of Independence, Washington was on the front lines battling for its tenants. He faced his fears. And he endured grave hardships and even stared death in the eyes numerous times. He helped others to do the same. As we know, the story of Valley Forge, those men, the men he led, what they had to endure at Valley Forge was just ungodly. But they did it. He dodged bullets on many occasions. And there's a piece here on his military exploits and his bravery. He was fearless. I, I also read that he had a wicked temper. He was you didn't want to get this guy angry. And uh, it's a good thing he kept his anger under wraps. That was, I think he wrote that in his 110 Rules for Civility. According to History.com, he struggled with advisors over what sort of image a president should project. He preferred one of dignity and humility and stumbled when encouraged to act out of character or monarchical. He didn't believe America needed a leader like that. He was a member of the Virginia planter class. He grew increasingly uncomfortable with the hypocrisy of owning slaves. Yet publicly, he promoted a gradual abolition of slavery. In his will, and this is not brought up enough, I think, in his will, he requested his slaves be freed upon his wife Martha's death. As far back as 1786, Washington said, there is not a man living who wishes more sincerely than do I to see a plan adopted for the abolition of slavery. He was cool, but again, he was hot-headed. He was a man of integrity and character, but he was human like the rest of us. And he was stubborn to a fault. And he had a dry sense of humor. Again, from History.com, Washington possessed that intangible quality of a born leader and had earned a reputation for coolness under fire and as a strict disciplinarian during the French and Indian campaign. He was a, a, a large man for his time. He was six feet three. And... He had, I remember reading a book by Richard Brookhauser, Founding Father. And in it, he said that, I don't know who he was quoting, but a contemporary of Washington said he had the largest hands of any man he had ever seen. Huge hands, six feet three. He loved to fox hunt. And uh, I guess he was a good dancer. He was pretty light on his feet. He was a Freemason, possibly a deist. But he was an astute observer of the darker side of human nature. He saw everything. I guess his favorite foods were pineapples, Brazil nuts, uh, he loved dinners of salt cod, 
and he was loyal almost to a fault. And he could also be unforgiving and cold when crossed. And he was stubborn. And uh, let's see, I'm reading here from, again, from this piece by Chuck Norris. Uh, When Thomas Jefferson admitted to slandering the president in an anonymous newspaper article for his support of Federalist Alexander Hamilton's policies, Washington was a Federalist, as was Hamilton, uh, Washington cut Jefferson out of his life. On at least one occasion, Washington's stubbornness inspired John Adams to refer to him as Old Muttonhead. And, you know, it wasn't just Washington who cut out Jefferson. Jefferson had a falling out with Adams uh, when they got older. But anyway, so Washington didn't need power and he wasn't greedy. He was a first-class servant leader. And he, he, he walked the talk, basically. And we'd like more politicians to do that today. And he had some health issues. He suffered multiple malaria attacks throughout his entire life even had a case of smallpox and dysentery, and he struggled with depression and hearing loss. In 1779, during the Revolutionary War, Washington feared for his survival, not from the bullets, but from an abscess on his tonsils. He'd been, after everything he'd been through, he was 57 years of age. His body was war-torn, reportedly a single real tooth in his head. That's it, one tooth. He left behind the comfort of his estate on the edge of the Potomac River, traveled eight days to New York where he was sworn in as president. He was a devoted and traditional family man. In 1759, at age 27, he married Martha Custis. They had no children, but he adopted her daughter and son from a former marriage. They also provided personal and financial support to nephews, nieces, and other extended family members. You know, Washington revered God and religion often elevating their irreplaceable and invaluable roles in our republic. For example, in 1789, during the same time when the First Amendment was written, then-President Washington signed into law the Northwest Ordinance, which states religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. Are schools like that today? That was 1789. Do schools talk about God and religion? No, they t- they've t- taken God out of the schools, out of the public schools. They've elevated the state to a level where God should be. God should take precedence over everything else. It's God, family, country. George Washington put God ahead of all else. On October 3rd of 1789, George Washington issued the first presidential Thanksgiving proclamation to God. Quote, a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many signal favors of Almighty God. Washington opposed big government and big government spending. He led our nation with frugality and self-sacrifice, refusing to accept pay as commander-in-chief of the Continental Army. He was even reluctant to be paid as president, but was convinced by others it would not be a good precedent for future presidents, so Congress gave Washington $25,000 a year, the largest salary in the U.S. for personal service at the time. At, at the time, it was 2% of the national budget. But, you know, the bottom line, George Washington lived, he died like he lived, with grace and with character, and he had a lot of guts. He was a great leader, and he was our nation's greatest president, in my view. All right, George Washington, his birthday today, February 22nd. Today's the 22nd as we record this. You know, there's been so much said and written about media bias 
and we talk a lot about that on this podcast. We know the media is is uh, coming at things from a left-wing perspective. You know, there was a great book written, I say great, it was written maybe 15 years ago. It was called Bias by uh, Bernard Goldberg. So Goldberg wrote this book, I want to say in the 90s, Bias, and it's an excellent read. And he, you know, he knows about what he speaks. He, he worked for CBS and he worked with Dan Rather, who was top dog, I guess, in the 80s and 90s at CBS. And he had it out with Rather a couple of times uh, over his coverage of, I guess, Bernie had mentioned to uh, Bernie Goldberg, had mentioned to uh, to Rather, Rather had this this run in with Bush one on the air on, on camera. Bush, I guess, uh, walked off the off the set and ended the interview and Rather was left holding the bag. It was excellent. I love it. And George uh, George W. also had his issues with Rather. Rather questioned Bush's service in the uh, in the military when Bush was running for the president for the first time. Anyway, in other words, Rather thinks he plays it down the middle. And that's the issue with a lot of people in the media. Some of them are, you know, well-intentioned, but we know where good intentions lead us. They mean well. They're just naturally liberal. They're educated in some of the same universities, Eastern liberal universities, and they come at things from a left-wing bent. But Rather couldn't understand the gist of of Goldberg's book. Why would he write the way he did? In other words, he wrote like a conservative. And Goldberg said, what are you talking about? And, and Rather said, we play it down the middle here. And, and, and Goldberg said, basically, no, you don't, Dan. You don't play it down the middle. Rather thought he did, but he didn't. And I guess, you know, and, and Goldberg was a lifelong Democrat. He probably still is. But anyway, that's there's a left-wing bias in the media, and uh, that's just, you know, I remember, share, I'll share one an- anecdote here, one story from way back when I was uh, first getting into newspapers. I worked as a stringer for a small paper uh, in Amsterdam, and I was covering, I forget what, it was a school board meeting up in Northville or Edinburgh somewhere in East Podunk, and one of the other reporters, I, the nice woman, she was nice enough, a little bit older than I was, and it was Martin Luther King. It was 87 or 88. I guess it wasn't quite, it wasn't a federal holiday yet. They were going to make it a federal holiday. And I guess these people in Edinburgh weren't going to recognize it for whatever reason. I'll let you draw your own conclusions there. And uh, we got talking, this this woman and I, This she worked as a reporter for the Gloversville newspaper. I can't, I can't think of the name of the newspaper. We got talking about politics and she looked at me and she said, why are you in newspapers? And I said, what, what do you mean? Just based on your political views, you shouldn't be in newspapers. I, I said to her, why shouldn't I be? Does, is it written somewhere that every newspaper reporter has got to be a liberal? Because if it is, I don't agree with it. But I found it interesting. And, you know, she's nice enough and she was a good reporter, but she didn't think that I should be in newspapers because of my political views. And this kind of leads me into the uh, next topic. Carrie Lake, she used to be a anchor here for, I think it was Channel 13, back in the 90s or early 2000s. I remember the name and the face. I mean, she looks a little different. She's still a nice nice looking woman. She's running for governor of Arizona, and she's gotten the support of, uh, she's got the support of President Trump. And she's already, and I've seen this on YouTube a couple of times, she's taken these reporters to task for confronting her with questions that appear to be aimed at making her look look bad, kind of these gotcha questions. And she turns the tables on them because she knows how to do that. She's very bright. And being an ex-TV anchor, she knows what they're doing to her. She knows all the tricks to the trade, in other words. So the Gateway Pundit explained her ad, which is going to air on a bunch of TV and radio stations. 
and it's going to run on during news shows on news stations across Arizona. There are a number of stations here, maybe eight or 10 stations. The report continues, Carrie Lake proves her point by including footage of several ballot harvesters from the upcoming movie, 2000 Mules, and she's right to do so. The fake news outlets will be required under FCC guidelines to air the commercial that absolutely exposes their companies and sheds light on the stolen 2020 election. And it was indeed stolen. Not just in Maricopa County, Arizona, but especially in Wisconsin and in in, uh, Pennsylvania. But Lake, in a statement to the Gateway Pundit, added, quote, My first TV ad, titled Rigged Elections Have Consequences, airs this Monday, and it will air only during fake news programs. I am not a conventional, boring politician, so it should surprise no one that I don't have conventional, boring campaign ads. If the fake news refuses to tell the truth, it's up to us to do so. I am the only candidate with bold solutions to the problems that we face, and I lay many of them out in our first ad, so get ready. So the Western Journal explained that Lake flips questions back at those grilling her, exposing the misdirection and the biases. And Lake also shared an interview she had with an Australian reporter calling it the most biased interview of my entire life. And, you know, as I mentioned, most people in the mainstream media are by nature more liberal than people in other industries. And uh, if you ever get a chance to read Bias by Bernie, uh, Bernie Goldberg, I almost said Bernie Sanders, Bernie Goldberg, it's, a, it's worth a read. We're out of time, folks. I know on the last podcast I mentioned I was going to do uh, something on homeschooling. My daughter did a great homeschooling uh, podcast with my wife. And if you want to check it out, it's uh, The Essentials with Maddie Flint. Maddie and her mom and my wife, uh, Natasha. Really, really a good piece of broadcasting. That's going to do it to it for this show. Thank you very much for tuning us in. It's the Pac-Man Podcast. If you want to contact me directly, it's P-A-C-M-A-N at the BMG Network.com. And we're available wherever you listen to your podcast. If you listen on Spotify, we're there. We're at Stitcher, Apple, iTunes, TuneIn, Alexa, iHeart uh, Media, uh, Amazon. We're all over the place. But thank you very much for listening. Tell your friends about it. Hit the like button and please hit subscribe. And uh, we'll do this again real soon. Thank you very much, folks. If the Lord wills it, we will talk to you in a couple of days. The Pac-Man Podcast was produced and edited in the BMG studio. Music by Kevin McLeod. For more episodes of the Pac-Man Podcast, go to the bmgnetwork.com or go to the BMG Network on Facebook. And be sure to tune into the next episode of the Pac-Man Podcast with Ted Flint.